Well, thanks for braving getting out in the world we live in today. As you well know, uh, a lot of schools have had to close down uh, because of supposed COVID outbreaks and things like that, mainly for teachers. So um, we are continuing to meet, and the reason we meet is because we're going to meet for those who can meet and those who can't can view online. I know there's probably many online with us tonight. We'll be open Sunday morning as well. And uh, we do need to be praying. They do believe that a lot of this surge will be over in the next few weeks as it comes out of the New Year's. I know a lot have um, tested positive, which should give, hopefully, a respite from this in the next couple of weeks. So let's pray about that tonight. We'll make that a matter of prayer. Uh, there's certainly some people you probably know that you want to be praying for as well. Before we get started tonight, though... Uh, we do have enough here to welcome each other tonight, so we're going to stretch out, work off the calories. We have a couple guests tonight that you can try to find, so work yourself around the room. Let's get on our feet, find somebody tonight, move across the room, and welcome somebody to PCBC. You can make your way back to your seat, and welcome to those who are viewing online. Thank you for tuning in as we do our new type of Bible study. Uh, while you might be there at home, there are some times we're working around the tables. Don't give up on us. You get to work around your table there at home, and we're glad that you're a part of this with us. Let me remind you that coming up very soon, we will have our Wild Game Feast. And uh, let me get that clicker working. Wild Game Feast, you have to go online to purchase your ticket. I hope you're thinking about somebody you can bring and invite. We've never done this since I've been pastor. You probably did it before I was here, or maybe you've done it at other churches, but just a neat, different time to get together. Uh, everybody will have the opportunity to have the same Beast Feast meal. There will be an appetizer table where we'll have some elk chili, and we'll have some other donated items that maybe can't make it on everybody's plate, but everybody will get a piece of deer venison steak, They'll get a duck appetizer, a bacon-wrapped jalapeno duck appetizer. You'll get fish and uh, some side items. So it'll be a nice, it's a city white-collar beast feast, all right? So you don't have to sweat it out too much. Your palate can be a part of it. It is $5. That'll help us control the crowd. We can only do 300 folks in here. So 
Those tickets hopefully will go very soon. You can go online at pcbc.tv. We're not selling tickets in the hub. We're just doing it strictly online. You can register your guests and your friends with you. And it's a great ministry to just invite somebody to be a part of. I hope you'll help us spread the word, all right? That'll be on January, the last Sunday of January. We also are selling the book by Ross Hill. Uh, that book is a 40-day challenge in your spiritual life of how to be in the Word. It uh, coaches you on a prayer journal, which a lot of people really don't do very well or very often. And, and Ross has been showing me, he literally has stacks of prayer journals that he keeps. And he goes back and he looks to journal and to uh, remind himself of what God has been doing through the years in his walk and in people's lives. And it's very, very fascinating some of the, the tips that he has in that book. If you'd like to buy one of those books, you can see me tonight. We have them over here on the side of the stage. Those are $10. And a matter of fact, once things kind of calm down in the COVID world, probably uh, sometime in February or March, we're going to have Ross here for a few weeks to teach us some of the principles out of that book. So if you'd like to get a copy, I hope that you will do that. So what we're doing on Wednesday nights is a little different from what I've ever done on Wednesday nights. Uh, it comes out of the Disciplines of One-on-One -on -one with God, which is a Bible study written by some lay people here in Oklahoma City, written back in the 70s, and literally has been used to disciple believers all over the world. Uh, the Fines are the couple, Jerry Fine and his wife, uh, were used of God to put these materials together out of Northwest Baptist Church. Our staff went through that, and we're now using that uh, in occasional small groups to help people go deeper into the Word. So I didn't want to wait for everybody to get to some of those principles. We're not teaching everything that's in one-on-one -on -one with God. But the three principles uh, that he teaches that really help your time in the Word and your time with God become very real and very relevant are these three Ps. So the first thing you see up on the screen is symbolic of the first P. When we're looking at a verse or we're reading through the Bible, we're not just reading a chapter to read a chapter. I want to encourage you, don't just read a verse to go find a verse that you can pick out of context and make it say what you want it to say so you can feel better about something in that day. But learning how to really let God speak to you through his love letter he's written to you. That's what the Bible is. The Bible is a love letter written by God through humans that he selected and inspired to record his heart for you. And that's how you need to read it. It's not a religious manual. It's not a book that was written by man. It's a book from God written through men who were inspired authors of the Holy Spirit to give to you what God wanted you to know about life and his design. So the magnifying glass, what that teaches us is not just to read through the Bible and check a box and say, well, I read a chapter today or I read the Bible today. What we want to do is we want to absorb and we want to um, take in the bread of life into our soul. We want to feed on the word. So the magnifying glass is challenging us to really let words jump out off the page, phrases or concepts. And so we're learning how to ponder. After we ponder, the next thing we do is we let what we see there, we try to turn that into some kind of a picture. Uh, in other words, Jesus, when he would teach often, would teach truth, but he would anchor it in a picture, in the form of a picture. Now, there are three ways that we can picture the truths that we ponder. Uh, one is literally like a canvas or like a parable. Jesus often would say, the kingdom of God is like, and he would paint a picture. And everybody say, yeah, oh, I get that. 
when we in Oklahoma, we get the reap-sow principle. We understand that pretty well because we know what it was like uh, planting and, and farming and all that harvest, the laws of the harvest. What a great picture of spiritual truth. And so that's one way to picture. A second way is you picture just Jesus sitting across the table from you like you are tonight. And Jesus is speaking these truths into your life, and you're receiving that conversationally. A third way you can picture it is simply sometimes it's just a bullet list of application. These are three things I need to do. If I'm looking at the Ten Commandments, uh, I've got ten things there. God's will is for me and how I relate to God and how I relate to other people. And so I'd write those down as ten points of application. That is picturing what we've pondered. And then after we have a time of pondering... Uh, the third thing is, we then just dialogue with God. Now, a lot of us have grown up being taught that a time with the Lord, a time in the Word, you start off, you pray, God, teach me through your Word. We then read a chapter or two chapters a day, uh, and then when we're done reading, then we pray to God and say, God, help me through the rest of the day, and we kind of bookend it that way. One-on-one -on -one with God reminds us that we're in a relationship with God. We're not in some kind of religious activity where we're checking boxes and say, okay, today I woke up, I read my Bible, I did a quiet time, I memorized the scripture. That's what the Pharisees were doing. The Pharisees were reading the word. The Pharisees were carrying the word on their head, on their arms. They had it posted in their homes. But it never got to their hearts. And what this is encouraging us to do is God's love letter is just that. It is a love letter that should be cherished, it should be treasured, and it's something we should take to the heart, not just to the head. And one of the ways we do that is dialoguing back. This is God speaking to you. And I don't know about you, but if somebody is having a conversation around the table, if they're the only ones talking, that's not much of a relationship. Uh, that's a monologue. A dialogue is where we are both engaged in conversation and relationship. And so one-on-one -on -one with God would teach us, spend time, ponder on a certain passage picture what God is saying to you in that and then talk back to God about it. Now, don't talk back to him. Talk back about what God is teaching. That's a whole different story. So tonight we're going to jump in together and what we always do is you start off individually first just kind of letting God speak to you. I'm going to put up a couple verses at a time. We only go two verses at a time. You'll do your own looking. You will become your own Sherlock Holmes and if we had three private eyes that were at an investigative scene, they would come up sometimes with possibly three different clues that jump out to them because it's the unique perspective. So you will look at it first, put your magnifying glass on it. When you get done after a few minutes, I'll have you then discuss it around the table and you'll get some groupthink going on. You'll listen into other private eyes and what they saw in that verse and then we will pray about it. All right. So here are our first two verses. See if we can get this going. All right, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. By abolishing in his flesh the hostility, which is the law composed of commandments expressed in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two one new person, in this way establishing peace, that he might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by having put to death the hostility. Now, we're jumping in where we left off last week. If you were reading through scripture, you would have had previous context. You may have to go back a couple of verses and remind yourself, or if you weren't here last week, 
you're jumping in in a thought. Notice it's not a capital B, so this is midstream. This is mid-sentence. You need to go back a verse or two, pick up your context, what he was talking about. When he's talking about these two different parties becoming one, who's he talking about? If you have to back up a few verses to get that, back up a few verses so that you have your context. But what do you see in verses 15 and 16? Draw circles around words, underline words, take some notes, pretend like you've got a private eye, notepad, and you're at the scene of the crime, and you're trying to figure out what truth exists at the crime scene. Come up with your own observations, and in a few minutes you'll share them around your table. Ready, set, go. For those of you at home, uh, if you'll be patient, we're going to give you three or four minutes. Take out your notepad, you dig through these two verses, see what you see. If you'll be patient, I'll be sharing with you some of the things that are said at the table and some observations I have as well here in a few minutes. All right, so you have hopefully identified some key concepts or a key concept or a key thought or a key nugget of truth. I want you to just take some time around the table, whoever feels comfortable leading out first. Don't talk about every word in the verse. You share about one little thing that you saw that jumped out at you. Let somebody else share after you, and let's have about four minutes of dialogue around the table. Go ahead. Share with one another what you see. As you dig in, as you dig in you're, it's interesting probably for you. Maybe you, a lot of you see some of the same things. Maybe somebody else saw something else that's new. That's called iron sharpening iron. As we dig into some of these things, especially in Ephesians, you've got to remember a couple things as you're reading any book. You always want to ask yourself, okay, who did God select to give these truths? Because he's going to use that person's uniqueness, uh, their context, their person. While they're not the ones writing it, God is still inspiring them within some of their uniqueness. Uh, Paul, what do we know about Paul? Paul is the equivalent of a seminary president or a seminary professor. He is highly trained in the word. He grew up and was, remember, as he self-proclaimed to Agrippa, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. In other words, I was the most trained, the most skilled. I was at the top of the religious ladder. So you're talking to a guy who studied, studied. Now, he wasn't a believer, but he was religious. He was a Pharisee. But Pharisees, and being the Pharisee of the Pharisees, he was very studied in the Old Testament. So as he's unpacking these things, it's some deep stuff sometimes. So don't let that discourage you, um, but remember the context. Remember he's addressing some things that are unique to his context, but still is as valuable today as it was back then. For example, some things that jump out. I'll put uh, kind of some of my writing. You may not be able to see that very well. Uh, one of the things it talks about at the very beginning there is taking the two and making them one new person. Now, even Bible uh, scholars today debate what all is here, but I believe the context is given to us in verse 13. Remember what he's been talking about. Jump back if you have your Bibles open. He says, now in Christ Jesus, you who were previously far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one. So what groups has he been talking about? If you would have been in all of chapter 2 and chapter 1, you would see that Paul kept reminding these believers at Ephesus that you aren't second-class citizens, although they were being told that. You remember there were two classes of citizens in this part of the world. What were the two classes of citizens? Jews and Gentiles. Now, the Romans were there, but they're the Gentiles. 
So you were either of the seed of Abraham or you were out. You were either the people of God or you were the pagan, the Gentile. And Paul is reminding them they don't have it right. What you have grown up historically, culturally being told and being taught, that is not true. You need to understand who you are in Christ. Now, if you remember a couple weeks ago, uh, at the very beginning up a few verses in verse 11 and following, we had to learn who we were as Gentiles. We were separated from Christ. We learned that we were strangers to the covenant, a covenant that was given to Abraham, but not a bloodline covenant. It was a faith line covenant that started with Abraham. Uh, we learned that we were without God and had no hope. But in Christ, he brought both the Jew and the Gentile and the Lord. If you ever watch talk shows and they put a, uh, a preacher on there, and they want to try to trip them up. One of the questions they'll throw at them is, okay, so if you believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can come to the Father, what about the Jews? You ever heard that one thrown out there all the time? I remember Larry King, that was one of his favorite questions that he loved to throw. And you would watch people trip and stutter and try to, because they're trying to not offend audiences. They're trying. The truth is the truth. And Paul was preaching the truth. And I would tell you that any Jew without the Lord Jesus We'll spend eternity separated from God. You know what else I'd tell you? A Baptist without Jesus will spend eternity separated from God. A Catholic without Jesus will spend eternity separated. A Methodist. doesn't matter what label or what religion you're looking to. Uh, here was Paul who's writing this. Remember, he was a Jew. He was a Jew of the Jews, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he was separated from a holy God. And it was on the Damascus Road that he had to realize there is only one way to be right. And that's what we're seeing in this epistle. He is explaining to them there's only one way that we can be right with a holy God. And it's what a holy God did for us. And we're going to see that unpacked a little bit more here in a minute. But he noticed, he, he says, the beautiful thing is that he has taken what used to be believed to be true. Only the Jews could be the people of God and everyone else they might have other gods, but they didn't have eternity with the Creator. He says, no, in Christ we have all become one body. That's what we know as the body of Christ. Okay. Now, if you look at other world religions, Hindus, they have castes, different caste systems. If you look at the Muslim faith, and even in there there's great division between men and women and the rights and the statuses. In Christ Jesus, male, female doesn't matter what your nationality might be. doesn't matter Jew or Gentile. We are all one in Christ. Now, let's go through it and look at another thing that is pointed out there. Um, he is, above verse 15 I wrote, he is our peace. I didn't make peace with God. I received peace with God. Christ is the one who made our peace. It says it is he who reconciled us. It is he who ended the hostility. He is our peacemaker. He is the one that made us one with God. I need to see that because if I don't, I start to think I'm the one that saves myself. I'm the one that makes peace with God and I'm reminded that it was Christ. And here's the other issue. If he made peace on our behalf, what does that tell us about us before we accepted Christ? What's the opposite of peace? What's the opposite of peace? So you're either in peace times or war times. See, a lot of people think, oh, I just need the peace of God. No, you need peace with God. 
Why do I need peace with God? Well, let me show you a couple things. If you look at that verse, right there in verse 15, he says, by abolishing in his flesh, that means what he did in the cross, giving up his life, the substitutionary death of Jesus, by abolishing the hostility. Now, I hope that word jumped out at you. Because as you look at that, well, what is he talking about? What is the hostility? That's not a warm, fuzzy word, is it? Uh, what hostility is he talking about? What needed to be taken care of? Well, let me show you what that means in the original language. Uh, your translation might even talk about the enmity. Uh, mine's hostility. In the Greek, it means the enemy, uh, the hostility, the, the warfare that exists. It's not that we were just not on God's team. We actually, if you understand this word hostility, we were at war with God. You say, oh, I've never been at war with God. Well, in your sin, yes, you were. You were the enemy. You, what do you mean I was the enemy? What does that mean? Well, you can dig out what's going on there. Um, our flesh, before we come to know Christ as Savior, we are hostile towards the things of God. Just look around at our world today. A world that has grown up under very humanistic training through our universities and through our culture and the conditioning of our media and all that takes place, we now wake up in a culture that is very hostile towards the things of God. It is a picture of what the unchecked flesh will do without relationship with God. We are naturally enemies of all that is holy, all right? We desire that which isn't holy. So here's some other verses to think about. Romans chapter 5, verse 10. Again, the Apostle Paul would write this truth. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. It's a hard concept to get your mind around, but the reality is God who created us to be holy, when he created Adam and Eve and placed them in the garden, they were perfectly created in his image. They were completely holy until they took in the unholy. They rebelled against God's will, they invited the knowledge of evil into their person, and now what was holy was now tainted by sin. And now we live under the penalty of that choice. And we, in our sin, we also become enemies of the holy, which is God and his will and his purposes and his ways. And Paul reminded them, know this, yeah, you may think you're a good person, and you probably can be, and you are a good person. But in the reality of the holiness of God, our creator, we are unholy in that sin. And that makes us, therefore, enemies. And the wages of sin, what's the penalty? Death. That must be punished because that is evil. It is unholy and it's under that. So that puts two sides. We were enemies, reconciled to God. How are we reconciled to God? By joining the church? By quit doing what we used to do? By acting, giving some money to the church, surely that'll get it done, right? Through the death of his son, a substitute, one who paid the price for the wages of sin. The wages of sin is death, that's what we deserve, that's what Jesus became, and through his death we are now reconciled back to the holy. Remember, how were the Jews, how were the Jews protected from death in the Passover, God provided a way. They had to place their faith in what God said, put the blood of a lamb over the doorpost of your home, 
And it wasn't magic, it wasn't the actual blood of those lambs that saved them, but it was that picture that would teach us how we are saved from death by placing our faith in the Lamb of God, Jesus, who died on the cross. He reconciled us back to the holy by being the holy substitute in our holy sacrifice. You with me? Uh, Again, James would say it this way, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility? There's that word again. Hostility. So when is a hostility um, uh, established? Whenever we are friends with the unholy, the things of the world, rather than the things of God. Now, that doesn't mean uh, not being friends with somebody who's in this world. We all live on this world. It's talking about the world's ways, the world's concepts. And when we embrace that, we become hostile towards God. We chose. We don't want what you desire or what you have designed, we'd rather have this. That's hostile towards the one who has the very best plan for your life. And so uh, keep that in mind as you were reading through that. Jesus took you from being at war with God to being your peacemaker. Now, I don't know what you do with all that or how you uh, move through it, but the beautiful thing about verse 16 is because of that peace, look at what else it says in verse 16, that he might reconcile us to God, both the Jew and the Gentile. Now that word reconcile, you can dig in on that and you can think through what it means to be reconciled. Second Corinthians chapter 5 uh, talks about that very same thing. We were alienated from God or separated from God and he reconciled us. Uh, reconciliation is a beautiful word. It is a powerful word. Now it can be used a couple of different ways. We've talked about this before. It can be uh, like reconciling, che- remember when we used to reconcile checkbooks? Do you remember back in those days when you used to do that? Now it's all done for you supposedly digitally or the bank tells you what you got or you can look on a screen. But if some of you maybe still be old school enough to still be reconciled, what what's it mean to reconcile the checkbook? Balancing it, bringing it all up, to, it's matching, it's one. It's not just, I think, I'll never forget when ATM cards first came out and I was a college student. And I remember ATMs messed me up. But what checkbook I could watch, I could reconcile, I could write a check, I could deduct it. The beauty of an ATM, you could stick a piece of plastic in a machine, you could punch a code in, and it would shoot out money to you. I like that. And the problem with the technology is, do you remember how long it took them to post that to your bank account? Sometimes there was a three or four day delay. If it happened over a weekend, it could take several days. Well, I'm looking at my balance, it still says I forgot to reconcile uh, while I was out that little thing and I might have taken it out two or three times I might have used it on a gas pump and all of a sudden all of a sudden I get all kinds of insufficient fun fees that was a beautiful moment and that's why God gave us parents to bail us out right okay so that's one term reconcile accounting term another one is relationally relationally two parties that are at two different perspectives. Maybe they're in court. It could be a husband and wife that are about to divorce. It could be two business partners who are sitting before a judge and they are alienated against one another and they want a judgment. And all of a sudden, they decide to no longer be two separate parties, but to be, there's a term for it. Legal term is reconciliation. It's where they come back to become whole again or to become one. Well, the Bible says Jesus Christ did that. That's the beauty of Christ. He didn't come to give a new religion. He didn't come to give us a bunch of do's and don'ts. He came to reconcile us. We were separated. That's what enemies are. 
that's what happened in the world wars. We were finally at war in certain parts and nations against nation, and then we were brought back to be at peace. And that's what Jesus Christ has done for us. So look at those things that you pondered. There's a bunch of other things that we could have talked about, a lot of different verses that we could have looked to. But you pick out one or two things that jumped out to you, and after you now have pondered it, and we've talked about different things, which part would you talk to God about? What, what speaks to you the most? Well, for me, it might be um, that I used to be an enemy of God. And now I know the peace of God. Thank you, God, for being my peacemaker. And so uh, peace is a big thing that some of you experience because you remember uh, the wars and you remember what that was like and the agony of it and then the peace time. You know what that's like. Maybe that's your picture. I don't know what it is. But now take some time. You can close your eyes if you want. You can talk to God. I, I don't close my eyes all the time when I talk to Cammie unless I'm looking for a smooch. But there's sometimes I just talk to her wide-eyed. You can talk wide-eyed. You don't have to close your eyes to talk to God. But you can just reflect on those things and say, God, thank you. Or maybe you're asking God to do something. God, right now I, I feel like maybe I have um, I've loved something in the world that I shouldn't love. And God, I confess that as sin. Maybe that's what jumped out at you. And so, God, forgive me of that. I don't know what jumps out. What jumps out at you, you make it a dialogue with God and just talk to him about it. Make it your prayer, and then I'll take us to the next two verses in just a minute. Go ahead. Pray about that. Father, tonight we rest in the peace that is ours through Christ. And, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just rest in that peace, but that that peace would have so changed our life, remembering what it was like to be at war with you, to not know you, to be your enemy, God, that you would maybe... Use us this week to be a messenger of that peace, to share that with someone who needs to have that assurance and, and needs to know that they can have peace with you through Christ. And Lord, may we not take that for granted and just rest in our peace, but may we see you live that out from our lives and may people be drawn to the peace that they see in our hearts. God, thank you for giving us those things. Thank you for all these other prayers that are being lifted up to you now, Lord. May you honor them and magnify them for your glory ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at two more verses, and then we'll go into a time of prayer here in a little bit. Ephesians 2, 17 through 18, he continues on and says, know this, and he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. All right, ready? Set individually, don't talk about it at the table yet. You dig in, break out your magnifying glass. What, to, what things jump out in those two verses to you, and then I'll tell you when you can do it with your table. Go ahead. Let me, uh, let me just kind of interrupt the conversations and kind of point out a few things that jumped out to me as well. Maybe you've already talked about these. As you're reading the scriptures, God uses every word. Every word has meaning. Uh, so sometimes you have to stop and ask, why is that word there? Or why didn't it, for example, it didn't say he preached peace to you. What's, what's in there that's unique? What's it say in, in more descriptive terms? He came to preach to you. Again, that reminds you, Jesus wasn't just a teacher. He wasn't a preacher. He came from heaven. He is God who came to us in the form of flesh, Messiah, and he taught. But who did he teach? And he, those who were far away, who's those who were far away? Well, you might say, don't point at somebody, all right? Uh, don't start breaking out the grade scale that you're closer to God than somebody else. Uh, but there are those who believe that to be true. So who were the ones that were far away? Who's he talking about? 
the Gentiles, and who were near? The Jews. But using even that terminology, when you look at both conditions, is he saying one was right with God and one was not right with God? No. He's talking about two categories of people still have the same problem. All right? Uh, there might be some who thought they were nearer to God. There might be some who are less unholy than others. But guess what? We're all separated from the love of God. So that jumped out. But the big word I'm sure that you guys discussed is it talked about the main, one of the main concepts there is at the end of verse 18, that because of that, we both have what? What do we now have that we've been reconciled to God? Access. So let's talk about that word. If you do a strong concordance Greek word study, you would pop up a definition, and here's what that word access means, okay? meant something very unique in their culture, uh, but it still means a lot in our culture. It means to come towards having access, watch this, with intimate face-to-face interaction. Now again, it was a term that would also be used, the same access, for example, if somebody in the kingdom needed help from the king, they needed access. They couldn't make a request of the king unless they were granted access to the king who was sitting on his throne. So there's that picture that's going on. Uh, But it's even more powerful than that because you can appear before a king as one of his subjects but that's not intimate relationship that's just the reality because I'm in his kingdom and he's my king and kings rule over the affairs of man and I have access to him well Paul's been reminding us when we were enemies of the king did we have any access zero because we were the enemy now in Christ we've been reconciled Uh, not only are we reconciled in a banking sense of the way but more in a family sense of the way. We're now one with God again, our Father, and that's a beautiful thing he points out. That access is not with the King of Kings. Could have used that term, but what does he say our access is with? The Father through Christ. So when you're now in this access to God, it's not God creator. It's not God of the universe. It's not God the judge who's going to judge over all of sin. You have access to your Abba, Father, that we studied earlier. God has that relate. You're now a child of God. Understand that and the beauty of that and the joy of that and the access that is yours now. You have access not to just your Creator, but to your Heavenly Father. And I'm not so sure, even people who've been saved sometimes think of God as their Abba. I think we see Him as our God. And the God that's far away, and the God of the clouds, and the God of distance, and the God who saved us through Christ, that's your heavenly daddy. That's your daddy. Now, I don't know what it was like for you with your earthly daddy. For some people, that's a great imagery. For other people, they're like, I don't even want to equate God because it was such a bad experience with an earthly father. But what we can know about this is he is a holy father. He is a good, good daddy. And he is reminding them that you aren't just saved and going to heaven someday. Right now, you have peace with God, and that peace gives you access. Why do we not cherish that? Why do we not look at that time that we're spending in the Word as time with my heavenly daddy? And that's what Paul was unpacking here. Hebrews 4.16 would say it this way, Therefore, let us approach this throne, this throne of grace. That's what the throne is about. It's about God's grace, and we're to do that with confidence. I didn't ever have to worry about approaching my parents about my 
things I needed. Those ATM debits, I knew it wasn't going to be a pleasant conversation. I still called them. I still knew I could go to them. I still knew that they would be there for me, all right? How much more with my heavenly daddy who's there for me? That we might receive mercy and find grace for help in our time of need. Now, if you've mastered it and you got this life thing all down and you don't need help, check out here. I need help on a daily basis, don't you? I need a daddy. Not a sugar daddy, a holy daddy. I don't need a sugar daddy who's just there to give me a lottery ticket, winning numbers. I need a holy daddy. I need a loving dad. I need a dad who wants to put his arms around me and just be my dad. And that's who God is. He is your heavenly father. So there's a lot of other things we could pick out tonight. We're almost out of time. I want to encourage you to talk to your daddy tonight as we close out. I want you to talk to your daddy. I hope you'll pray about Beast Feast. I'm really hoping God will use that in a very special way to kick off a new year and, and to help us engage with people when we've been so distanced through COVID and all these other issues, that God would use that. Uh, if you would pray for services coming up this Sunday morning and pray for things that you need God to help you with. He is your daddy. And he wants to help you in your time of need. There are people who've turned in prayer requests. They have needs. We want to pray for those. You can write a prayer card. You can just talk to the Lord. But take these last five, six minutes. It's going to be your time with your daddy. Talk to him. Pray to him. If you want to write prayer cards, you can do that. Leave those on the table. And when you're done talking to your daddy, you can walk out talking to your daddy some more. All right? God bless you. Thanks for being here tonight. Pray for those who are struggling with COVID right now. Uh, pray for us to get through this uh, new leg of outbreak and that we can continue to minister to our city and to our world, all right? Let's pray.